Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and writer. And I'm Brian Luna, and as an adult, I'm the only person you know that'll ever get brain freeze at dinner. And you're listening to Talk, Talk Psych, Psych to, to me. me. A show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into... <laughs> you forget your line? <laughs> I think, so we're on episode 52, I think that's the first time we ever... <laughs> you, were, you were just like coasting now, you're like, oh, he'll jump in. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Okay, let's jump in. So on the last episode, we got to talk about one of your favorite topics, yeah. parapsychology. <laughs> we, we learned it was a bust. No, we learned that... We don't know shit. There is no evidence yet. <laughs> Except for the evidence that's all over the internet. Hello? <laughs> Why don't those researchers look at that stuff? I was I was thinking about this a lot since we've spoken a couple weeks ago. And I gotta say, yeah. more things have happened to me paranormally. Yeah. Since we did that last since episode? Since we did the last episode. What? Like the brain freeze? No, the brain freeze, that's going to happen because I eat popsicles for dinner. But <laughs> the the rest of it, like some eerie stuff is happening. Dreams and whatnot. Dreams? Watching more videos online. That okay, is Okay, they're weird. little shorts. <laughs> like, no, I mean like more paranormal videos. I'm seeing more stuff. Skinwalkers are out there. So There's let us know, on. listeners, if after listening to our last episode on parapsychology, mm-hmm. you too have become more paranormal. Yeah, I think I think it opened me up. I think now all of a sudden I'm like a, a yeah, conduit. a vessel. A vessel. Yeah, yeah better. Yeah. I like yeah. conduit, but... Uh, yeah, no, both are good. Yeah. So today I figured my turn. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. Vegetables. Learning. Hey! The psychology of learning. So I figured I want to start off by recreating a quick experiment right off the bat. Oh, fine. I'm really good at learning, so... <laughs> okay. Either pick what's in my right hand or my left, left hand. hand. Oh, you, this hand. Your left. Okay. All right. This piece of paper. So let's each open our thing. All right. And tell me what you are teach. Uh, learn. Learn. <laughs> okay, so today we're gonna. I'm gonna teach you. <laughs> okay, so here's how this experiment is gonna go. You have to teach me to remember a number that's 20 digits. Let's go for 20 digits if we're gonna. I have to think it. of a 20 digit number and yeah. then make you memorize it. Yes. So can you right. write down a 20 digit number? 20 digits. 20 digits. Oh jeez. Okay, one, two, three, four. Now, okay, uh, twenty digits. Don't don't overthink it. Just any well, number. I, I mean, I don't even know what what that's that's like in the trillions. What is that? Hold on. What? Oh yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> math. Why did you have to pick math of all things? Tanya can't learn math, and you're dyslexic. Or How you are we going to do, do this? Well, because originally it was done with letters, but I well, let's do letters for Christ's sake. But I struggle with letters. You struggle with numbers. Maybe maybe learning's not the thing for you. All right, so twenty digit number. Yeah. Okay. So I'm write this out better because it's very messy. Okay. So the next part is you say the number to me, and then you have to test me. Every time I get the number sequence correctly, you have to give me a high five. Okay. Let's do a high five. Oh, there's a practice. You haven't gotten shit right. Okay. <laughs> and then every time I get it wrong, you have to pinch me. I'm gonna slap your hand. Ow. It's effective. Pinching. I don't, I'm not a pincher. I don't okay. know how to pinch. Okay, fine. All right. Okay, so high five. And then if I get it wrong, Before we do this, hypothesis. What kind of consequence do you think will help me learn faster? A high five reward or a slap punishment? You can't do punishment. You, you can't do pain. So you're going to complain. You're going to be like, <laughs> oh, why did you do me? You're going to whine. And then that's going to be like, that's you're going to forget the high five. You, you better love, be a good teacher then. You love being a smart aleck. You love knowing it all. Okay, so, so like, your hypothesis, Dr. Luna's hypothesis is reward works better than punishment. Absolutely. Especially since I grew up getting punished. So Okay, 
Let's do it. Why are you? I'm that? getting my brain. Oh, oh I thought you, that you're already exhausted with me. No, okay. I'm getting ready for remembering numbers. So one, two. <laughs> oh my god, I'm already nervous. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's start over. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. One, two, two zero one. <laughs> three. Okay. Okay. <laughs> one, two, two zero one. Three seven two. Give me oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Come on, man. Okay, so let me do that again. Okay. One two two zero one. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. One, I'm I've already memorized it. Okay. One two two zero one. Three seven two. Five seven two. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. okay, hold on. One two three zero one. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. No, no. Come on, don't stall. Ow. Okay, okay. I'm gonna read it again. <laughs> One two okay. two zero one okay. three seven two five seven two. <laughs> okay, let's switch. Let's switch. I'll do the teach. You do the learn. I don't think so. We're already, we're already in it. Okay. One two two zero one three seven two five seven two. Put your hand out. <laughs> no. Put your hand out. Put your hand out. But it hurts. Put your. It's supposed to hurt. Put your hand out. Oh, okay, okay. All right, that's enough. No, let's try it again. No, no, no I think one, that's enough. One, two, two, zero, one, three, seven, two, five, seven, two. So our real topic today, <laughs> do you know what experiment we actually just recreated? Yeah, a fun one. Do you know what experiment this actually was? Oh, is this that one where it's like <laughs> the Stanford thing? No, not the Stanford one. Oh, not it's, the, it's where people uh, chose to hurt strangers? Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that that's what we were doing? No, not until you just said that. <laughs> So, wow, you had like... How's your hand? I wish this was... Uh, it is pink. I wish that I had a video of this because your eyes were like glowing, like beaming. So... I was actually rooting for you to get it. So what we actually recreated is the infamous Stanley Milgram experiment yes. on obedience yes. that began in the 1960s. 1961 mm-hmm. was the first study. So a real topic today is not going to be learning. It's going to be all the many interpretations and implications of this one experiment oh no nice. we haven't really done that before no we no no, no. we usually go topic and this is about this milgram cat all right yeah. let's talk about it yeah yeah stan i like to call him stan, stan the man, the man. so tell me what you know about how the original study was conducted uh i don't i don't remember uh, details because i get it mixed up with uh, a few other studies the but basically one is, yeah. yeah so the stanford prison but this was this was just as like terrible for individuals but basically we learned that people became sadist when given the opportunity to hurt others or something like that. Mm. Like I just remember people like surprising the researchers. World. Yeah. And the world by being more sadistic than we thought. Cause I mean, yeah. we here we use the word human and humanity and it's actually inhumane is how we treat one another. So uh, yeah. So one of the things I find so interesting about this research is this is one of a handful of psychological studies that so many people know about whether or not mm-hmm. they've ever taken a psychology class yeah. or not. So that alone is fascinating because to your point, the interpretation that the world had of this study is like, oh, crap, maybe humans are like fundamentally evil yeah. or sadistic. What's well, like when we studied the like when it came out about how shitty dolphins are, you know, I mean, here we had these beautiful sea creatures that people wrote about as majestic and like almost magical and mystical creatures. 
in, in ancient lore. You can be magical, mystical, and still a, a jerk. Yeah, but these guys are dicks. They, like, slap people. They kill for fun. Same with, like, uh, was it, what, what monkeys were they? Or were they, were they apes? Chimps. Uh, chimps? I don't know. I don't feel comfortable promoting this message because I haven't fact-checked it. Well, I'm not... I'm just saying, like, it was surprising even though that they even that they did that. I'm not saying they do it consistently. Yeah. But the fact that they even did that, it just goes to show that uh, we take pleasure in seeing schadenfreude. 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 Like, taking pleasure in other people's suffering. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. So let's see if that's a conclusion we come to at the end of this <laughs> Well, I can tell you right now from all my fail videos... I really like the ones where people get hurt. Like, I really, <laughs> I really, especially well, I can tell you from themselves. doing that little mini recreation of the experiment that you really enjoyed slapping I didn't enjoy hand. slapping you. I oh, just, you did. You no, did. no. I literally said, ow, that hurts. Don't do it. And your eyes shone, your beady little eyes shone. That's not and you were true. Like, Put your hand out. Put your no, hand out. I was trying to make you learn. I was trying to make you be a stronger and better person. <laughs> Don't ask for easier okay. times. Ask to be stronger. As for sure, thicker. <laughs> so here's how the study was actually conducted. Uh-huh. So you had research participants show up. Uh-huh. They, you know, answered an ad in the paper and they showed up. I believe they were paid like four dollars or something like that, Oof. which is pretty good. It was in the '60s for the '60s, yeah. yeah. So they so today randomly... that's uh, tax uh, inflation. That's that's two hundred seven thousand dollars and forty seven cents. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not so, mistaken. Something like that. My math might be off, but <laughs> so they show up at the lab. Mm. they randomly draw what role they're going to get. Is it really random? Or teacher. And it is not really yeah, random, just as it wasn't really random between us. What? We both had teach? Yeah. You <laughs> sucker ass sucker. I hate when you make me a pigeon and make me like one of these little uh, uh, sheep that, that <laughs> fell into this thing. I hate when Wait you make a minute, me a so sheep. Wait a minute. Are you a pigeon or a sheep? I'm a sheep pigeon. I hate that because I, I always think that we both had you sucker ass but look, sucker. Look, I was ready because I thought you were going to call me on it. I thought you were going to be like, no, you both, you also got to teach. So then I also had learned. Oh, I'm just, I'm showing, I'm showing. You I'm are. I was ready. I was ready. Anyway, so they draw randomly what they're assigned to. The participant is always actually assigned to a teacher. I, let me just stop you for a second. I really do feel, <laughs> I really feel betrayed here that we both, that you suckered me into this thing <laughs> to be a dick. Okay, go ahead. So now I'm one of those dolphins and sea creatures. I feel like such a dick. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's the best I could do. Yeah, it sounded like, like a do- it sounded like a dolphin monkey. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! The most right. aggressive of all. <laughs> so anyway, they're assigned teacher. They think that they've been randomly assigned yeah. that role. They are shown. Uh, they're basically told that this is an experiment on learning mm-hmm. and memory, and they're helping science find out how learning works. Okay. They're given a set of words, and what they're told to do is press this button that shocks the learner. Every time they get something wrong, they actually experience what the shock feels like at the very bottom of the scale. It starts at, I think, 150 volts. So it hurts, but it's it's safe. Yeah. So they get the shock and they're like, this is, you know, just to show you all what it feels like. Then the learner goes away into another room and then they start the experiment. So they're teaching them these words. And were the learners real people or were the learners part of the research they're team? Part of the research team. Okay. So it wasn't random. It was like... Um, the research team mixed up with these people and then they were set, they acted like they were being separated, but exactly. it was always, it was always the people planned. off the street, people pushing the, the pressers. Buttons. Yeah. yeah okay. the, the button pushers. So every time they get it wrong, they have to go up the scale and give a stronger and sh- oh, stronger. Sh- I forgot shock. about that part. Yeah. All the way up to 450, I believe. And mm. on the box, it says danger. So it like actually is telling you. Yeah. 
this shit's bad. And while the <laughs> while you're pressing these buttons, the learner in the other room is screaming in pain. And they're actually saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Stop, stop. Yeah. This hurts. And then once they get to one of the highest voltages, they actually stop making any noise. And if they don't respond, the the uh, the participant is told to continue pressing the shock button. I can think of 13 people that would go right to the 450. <laughs> I can think of 13 people right off the top of my head. I'll play you just a little bit of a clip from one of the original studies. Okay. This one will be 195 volts. Oh. <laughs> the correct one. Let me out of here. Slow. Dance. Let me out of here. Why are you me? Let me out of here. You have no right to keep me here. Let me out. Let me out of here. Let me out. Continue, please. Let me out of here. My eyes bother me. Let me out. Let me out. My eyes are bothering me? Red. That is incorrect. This will be at 3.30. Correct, <laughs> All right. I got to stop this right here. <laughs> I'm out of here, say. <laughs> Let me out of here, say. I'll put you in the pictures, I'll kid. put you in the pictures, kid. Let me out of here. I'll make you a deal. Yeah. Yeah. So this man is screaming in pain, and Brian Luna is sitting over here, twinkling his eye. Can we just hear the 450? And then, <laughs> no. And then, no. Okay. He doesn't. They don't do the 450 because he stops making sounds. So like he's screaming. His... Wow! <laughs> wow! Your reaction. What? Wow! Bad. Bad. Oh, really, really bad. Okay. Do you know why? Stanley Milgram designed the study in the first place. Hilarious. So the actual motivation, he says, was to understand the psychology behind Nazi obedience in World War II. Oh. Yeah. Now I feel like a jerk. Yeah. Now you feel like a double dolphin. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not saying I'm a Nazi, but there is a little bit of humor in the way that guy was. I mean, that was really. That, <laughs> Elaborate. Yeah, I mean, that was okay, really. Okay, but that's in the 60s. Maybe that's how they screamed that's in the 60s. That's what I'm 60s. saying. My eyes hurt. Yeah. They hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I I do think I I get it. Uh, So he actually piloted on participants in the U.S. thinking that it wouldn't work on Americans because we're too individualistic and free spirited. uh, And he thought that there was something about the German character that led Mm. to the willingness to comply and to obey orders. So I can see why this is so controversial. So when this study came out, he was saying any of us could have been in those camps or the, you know, even even just as part of that that regime to to Well, yeah, and he was sort of questioning, is it that people are evil or is it that we are obedient? And is it that we will obey authority? And what percentage of people are willing to obey authority, even when it means causing pain? Well, what if... Okay. All right. I mean, I guess it, I guess so too. But so is it evil or obedience? And I don't know. I feel like obedience is a little bit of a cop out. Mm. You know, I, I do think that, yeah, of course, people will always, you're getting four bucks, so you're going to do what you're told. But I do think at some point, correct me if I'm wrong, people did refuse, right? Well, so let's, we're going to talk about the results right now. He began by asking Yale faculty, what percent of people will go all the way to the maximum voltage? Mm-hmm. What's your prediction? Inter- what, not your they, prediction of what, what they did, but what, what they do, say. What do you think your guess is of what people assume? I'd say they, they it was going to be less than 15%. Yeah. So the people he polled guessed 0 to 3% okay. would go to max voltage. Okay. Here's an obedience experiment for you listeners. Gosh. Please leave a review. Yeah, do it. Ow! <laughs> if you don't Ow! do it, I'll be hurt. My eyes are hurting. Ow, it's hurting me that you haven't <laughs> left a review yet. Five stars. Ow! <laughs> All right. What's your prediction for the actual experiment? 
Uh, what, what percentage of people did went it? up to 450? 65%. That's exactly right. No, it's not. It's exactly right. No, it's not. 65%. You always do this and you reel me in and I'm like, really? I'm still smart. No. And then you're like, 65% no. of participants went all the way to the deadly 450 voltage level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ah! No, really? Yeah. So, so this is not surprising to you? No. Wow. So, so here's the thing. Many years later, the psychologist named Gina Perry, eventually Milgram's data became open to the mm-hmm. general public. He became like a celebrity. Everyone was writing about him. Everyone was talking about him. This is unusual he for a psychologist. He traveled with the Rolling Stones, too, didn't he? <laughs> I for think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he made a <laughs> he shocking opened, debut. Op- oh, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, finally, when his data were available, Gina Perry, she goes, she looks at it, and... What she finds out is only about half of the participants said that they believed that it was real. So of those who did think that it was real, 66% disobeyed the orders. But that's still a lot of compliance. Oh, so some people didn't buy that guy's acting. They did not. Oh, of course. That guy stunk. <laughs> so they were quite, I mean, again, about 50% <laughs> bought it. They believed that they were actually My eyes are pain. bothering me. I didn't like it. This is bullshit. I thought it was very specific. But still, there's a, that's a lot of compliance in his original research and replications from other researchers over the years, like Darius Delinsky and Jerry Berger, were very similar to what he posted as his original findings. Thomas Blass did a meta-analysis. Remember, meta-analysis is like a mm-hmm. review of a whole bunch of studies. He wanted to find out if the results of these replication studies were different in the U.S. and outside the U.S. He found that across the board, it hovers at around 65%. It was U.S. study 61, non-U.S. study 66. So basically 65%. So there might have been some messiness in the original Milgram studies, Mm -hmm. but it does seem that pretty consistently... Pretty accurate. uh, We'll say 60%, 65%, yeah, Yeah. between there. Yeah, going up to the maximum voltage. For people who thought it was real. For people who thought it was real. So what's your interpretation? Are we wired for kind of just mindless obedience? Are we... I don't think it has anything to do with obedience. I don't think it... I I mean, I know, obviously, this is what we're talking about, obedience and everything. I think that's a part of it. But I think the other part of it is thinking people, look, when you're pushing the button, the person inside, yeah, that guy mm-hmm. is less than you. So I, I think it's it's literally looking power? at like, I think it's a power thing. I think it's like more looking at like who deserves it. Uh, you're obviously in that box. You obviously did something to deserve it. Whoa. And, but, and you, you're looking, but we randomly chose who was going to be the teacher and who's going to be the It doesn't matter. When you're in that oh. box, you start to justify. Even if you go back to look at the atrocities with Native Americans and it's how they were painted, mm. and, you know, with the Jews in Europe in, in the 1930s, you see the same thing, the way they were yeah. painted, what we were fed. And then we were like, oh, well, they obviously they deserve whatever they're yeah. getting, the, the Native Americans. And I guess that, the question is, do you start behaving in that way towards someone that maybe starts with obedience and then you have to justify it to yourself? I don't know what or comes does first. It start yeah, with? I don't know what comes first because, like, you have to be easy with hurting someone first and then you could just be obedient because then it's just a job, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not like obedient where you're doing what you're told, like, you're getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense of, like, well, I got to push the button. I mean, that's what I'm here for, you know? And the, the thing that you're bringing up even earlier before we started talking about results, there has been a lot of pushback against using this study to interpret behavior during World War II, because in this case, you're applying electric shock. In another case, you're literally killing people. Genocide, absolutely. And this was a very short period of time, whereas we're talking about a very, very prolonged period of time Mm -hmm. during the Holocaust. You're talking about someone standing right over your shoulder giving you orders in the experiment. And in the Holocaust, it was a lot of individual I, I, initiative. I do, I do think that like we get that obedience study because 
during the trials, a lot of the Nazis were saying that we were just doing what we were told. Well, and actually, one of the reasons this study became so popular was it because it came out right at the time that there was the trials. a major trial yeah. for, for one and, of the And individuals. again, that, that, that's I think that's a justification. I don't think that's true. I don't think you, you do something like that, hmm. create uh, commit genocide on an innocent group of people, and then say, I was just doing what I was told. Hmm. Because at some point, you do wake up. You put on your shoes, you put on your pants, or you probably put on your pants, then you put on your shoes. You, know, <laughs> you look at yourself in the mirror and you know that the other person that you're doing this to is exactly like you. Mm. I mean, there are some fundamental differences in terms of like what you believe, but it's a human being. So yeah. I think this all came from a bullshit response to when these people were arrested and tried I was just following orders. Look, mm-hmm. I I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want to rock the but Then the, the, what would they do to me? Yeah. But you're saying people didn't even, you don't even buy that people thought that. You're saying that's just a, an excuse. I think it's an excuse. Yeah. And I love what you're bringing up about that kind of cognitive dissonance that sets in when you are in a position of power where mm-hmm. you soothe any discomfort you might feel by saying, I belong on this side, they belong on that side. Yeah. And I think we do that even beyond violence. It's like if someone is really wealthy, it could be really easy to look at someone who's poor and say, well, they, they deserve yeah, that I, and I deserve this. I told you I had uh, I was with someone who was very rich uh, when I first got to school here in New York and we were very poor. And she looked at my family and said, well, it's because y'all don't work hard. And I was like, what? That like, said your family doesn't work all that hard. Yeah, that's true. But but she didn't know that. At the time, she didn't meet him. <laughs> that's messed up. But I mean, but even if you go back and look at factory farming, yeah. you know, and you look at these animals and... Yeah, I'm not going to get on my high horse or anything, but like I'm saying, like it was hard for me after I saw how it's even hard to talk about, like how animals were being led and treated and put in these. Ha- but as a person who works there, you got to be like, well, I got to feed my family, not and they don't feel anything. No, but I'm saying, but, person it, who shops and buys that. Well, but food. Le, le, but let's let's get to the point. Like forget yeah. forget that part, forget that consumer part, because there is a dissonance there where we are saying like that in the cage crying for its children isn't the same thing that I have in my hand. It's not Oscar Mayer, right? So there is that dissonance there. So I get that. Or distance. Because, distance, right? Because yeah. like, you can't put that together and you don't want to. But the people who work there specifically, because they're the ones handling and pushing and holding these animals, you have to look at them and say, oh, well, they don't feel it. Or, mm. or they don't, you know, for years, they, oh yeah, they, they don't feel anything. You know, oh, we do it humanely because of the cow. But they, they, they may don't feel the death, but they feel that panic every day yeah. of seeing animals led to slaughter in front of them and near them and being separated from their family. Like, of course you feel that. So it's the same thing. You have to look at that and say, oh, well, I'm going to distance myself because this isn't, yeah, they deserve it. They give yourself some kind yeah. of story to feel okay with what you're doing. And I think that's where obedience comes in. I think that's mm. where you're saying, well, I have a job, you know, I'm in the union or whatever. I have benefits. I got my family and Hmm. So so Milgram had two theories to explain the obedience that he saw. I'll talk through those two mm-hmm. and maybe we can see if we agree or disagree with him. So the first is a theory of conformity based on Solomon Ash's experiments. Basically what he deduced from his own findings is what Ash had found, which is in times of ambiguity or crisis, we leave decision-making to people who have more power. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, absolutely. Can you think of any examples of that? Any kind of panic. Anytime people are getting hurt... And you're panicking, you look to people with authority. When you're on a plane and there's turbulence, really bad turbulence, 
pilot comes on the plane, you listen to every single thing that person says. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know if what they're saying is true. I mean, we could be yeah. going on the side, uh, you know. Yeah. It's almost know. like those are moments where we kind of set aside our own agency because mm-hmm. you're like, someone knows better than me. Yeah. So they... they... And, I, and I think the same thing happens in, in riots. I think the same mm-hmm. thing happens with like huge mobs of people fighting. Like kind of a, that mob mentality. Yeah, feeling. yeah. You, you just kind of look in a direction and be like, well, this... I, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I'm terrified, but this person yeah. is very confident and I'll follow them into... And it's interesting because it's in times of crisis where there's fear and anxiety, but also ambiguity where basically there's no cue telling you what the appropriate thing to do is. So let's say there's mm-hmm. like someone lying on the street. If no one's doing anything and they're just walking by, mm-hmm. the chances are very likely that you're just going to walk by. Yeah. If there are people walking over, the chances are very likely that you're going to walk over. Yeah. So... Milgram actually did another version of the experiment. He did, he put so many people in those boxes. <laughs> that guy got so much business. <laughs> I think he's got he got his union card from this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in this version, the participant was joined by two other fake teachers. They thought that they were random participants. Okay. So you weren't just pressing the button by yourself. You had two other people by you. And if those teachers refused to comply only 10% of the participants continued the experiment. Oh. Isn't that... That's a huge yeah. change. Yeah. We're talking about 65 going all the way to the end yeah. compared to 10% continuing just mm-hmm. because these other two dudes were like, no, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, couldn't didn't didn't have the guts to do it. Yeah. yeah. I, what are your takeaways from that? I don't know. I mean, we see a lot of people now going against the grain, like going against progress, going against what's right. Well, so, I mean, they prob- it's probably because they have a different definition of progress maybe or, or they they don't like the people that are promoting progress yeah, that's you know true. so they don't like the ambassadors for progress yeah so we're like well i'm not like this person so obviously i don't think like them because yeah. i don't look like them i don't i'm not saying what they're saying i don't believe conformity conformity right? so yeah and i think that maybe you know if you look at like the political tensions around the world and in our own country you're right, because there is so much ambiguity, maybe there's more conformity mm-hmm. to your own group. Like, yeah. who is most like me? And let me just stick with whatever those opinions are, because there's so much And you're confusion. talking about, in a panic, remember you asked me a moment ago, like, yeah. w- uh, when when do you see people following uh, when COVID, when mm-hmm. everyone was freaking out, and you had these people, like, giving this misinformation about COVID and where it comes from, and you don't need this, and you don't need that, and put bleach in your system, and blah, blah, blah. And then you and then you have other people on the other side, don't talk to anybody, don't stay locked up, you know, anti-vac. And you had all these little subgroups because everyone was terrified. No one knew yeah, what was going true. on. And they were listening to the voice that could lead them out of darkness. Yeah. And I Especially guess... Especially when you don't know which voice to listen to. Right, right. And I guess you become scary. obedient from that. I guess it's it's a... See, that's why I think I think obedience is an after... Like an, well, even like Milgram, a product, a byproduct. Even Milgram and increasingly more and more researchers don't even think of his research as obedience studies. They're mm-hmm. still taught as obedience studies, yeah. but it seems more likely that they're conformity yeah. more so than yeah. obedience. He had another explanation. He said the second theory for why people complied was what he called the agentic state theory. So if people see themselves as the instrument for carrying out another person's wishes, they give up any personal responsibility. So basically he's saying, if you're, let's say you're paid to do something mm-hmm. or you're whatever, you're, you're given the responsibility of being someone's like representative, 
then you can sort of like check out of your own self-judgment and just be like, oh, I'm, I'm just following orders. I'm just doing the job. I'm getting yeah. the $4 or the $2,000 and by 2022 <laughs> sure standards. Uh, I think it's bullshit too. I think that's also uh, a way to... You don't like that one? Rational. I just think it's a, it's a way to rationalize your behavior. I think it's a way to, to justify the atrocity that you're doing or, you know, what it is. You're, well, you know, I got paid, you know, they gave me, they gave me this polo with the, with the, with the company name on it. I gotta, so I gotta, I gotta do. press I'm the button. Not yeah, I'm not gonna not do button. it. So in his journals later on, he actually expressed doubts over his own findings, mm-hmm. which is not something that ever kind of got out into the general public. One reason is that people show significant emotional and physical distress in these studies. And that's something that also we rarely talk about. The fact that Unlike the zeal and zest that you displayed in slapping my hand when I was getting those numbers wrong. (laughs) You make some great noises. So I'm not going to not. Yeah, if anyone wants to book me to sit in a box. (laughs) (laughs) So unlike you, the participants in these studies, they were really suffering. So they weren't just passively complying. They weren't just like, just doing my job. Mm -hmm. So in one study, Sheridan and King found that the duration of each shock button press grew shorter, revealing that people were hesitating. Mm -hmm. So they were like actually doing less and less. They were out loud saying like, are you sure that I should do this? They were sweating. They were like rubbing their heads. They were, they kept questioning. Is it okay? Are you sure? Are you sure he's okay in there? Do you want to maybe check on him? Even in a computerized version of the experiments by Mel Slater and team, they used an avatar instead of a real person. And so the participants knew that it was just a computer avatar that couldn't actually feel the electric shocks and participants still agonized over whether or not they should do it. So like, that is also an incredibly important aspect of human nature. But maybe we're not jerky dolphins. By the no. way, again, I don't know that anything that you said about <laughs> dolphins they, they, is true. Yeah, this is just a disclaimer. I'm just <laughs> saying this is just... what I know from minute 30 second YouTube clips. So yeah. that's where I'm getting my, yeah. that's my research. Yeah. So wh- what do you think about that? Like the natural instinct actually seems to be to stop. And people were feeling this incredible, like the majority of people felt pain and anxiety and But then it comes back to conformity. Look, one of those haunting images I have, there's that photo of the officer on George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And the look on his face was he was the guy that people would look to for any kind of panic or any kind of situation that was getting out of hand. Like he's the authority. He would be the authority figure. He's the one who put physical restraint on this man, dragged him out of a, of a car, lied him on the ground, and murdered him, suffocated him. While you see the other four officers watching, not knowing what to do, conform to the authority, conform to the inhumanity. We saw that. We saw that live. And these four guys, the other four officers, are just as guilty and four people like, well, none of these other three guys are helping mm-hmm. or stopping this guy from killing. So it him. must be the. It must be okay. Yeah, he the, he must deserve it. it. Yeah, he he must. He's or the criminal. The, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the criminal, and he wrote a bad check supposedly. So w- what you're saying is it's kind of this combination of the first moment is conformity, and then as you notice yourself continuing not to take action. Or to take action that is more morally either against your values or questionable, mm-hmm. then that sort of like rationalization kicks in. Yeah. Where you're like, there must be a good reason. Justification. For this. Like- so that third theory actually feels very aligned with the theory that emerged 
since Stanley Milgram's original research, popularized by researchers like Don Nixon and others, which is that the people in Stanley Milgram's experiment, and then let's see if we can apply that to other situations, were just trying to be helpful. Pushing the button? Yeah. (laughs) So if you really take a look at what was going on there, they signed up believing that they were helping science. Like even in some of the interviews with participants afterwards, they were like, that was really difficult. I felt really bad about that. But if there's some good that comes out of it, I'll do anything if there's good. Yeah. So basically, if they're thinking they're going to make people's lives better, it's more like they were willing to sacrifice their own discomfort in exchange for helping humanity. <laughs> Supporting this idea, Alexander Haslam, Stephen Riker, and Megan Burney found that people are less likely to continue if they're given an order, but more likely to continue if they think they're helping science. Hmm. So that kind of throws something I'm not sure what it, th- I don't know what the expression is. It throws in the face. What's the expression I'm going for? Uh, a wrench in the in the works? <laughs> throws a wrench in someone's face? No, no, no. A wrench right. in the works. Throws a wrench in the works? All right. Yeah. It, it basically of this idea that people were being obedient because actually the more you make people feel like you have to follow orders, the more that wakes people up to go, and was this global? Well, hell no, I'm not going to do it. The This study was recreated in the U.S. Right. But- so this, I think that's my point is that when you tell an American they have to do something. Oh, interesting. So you think that kind of it defies kicked but, in our individuality? Yeah, but we all have this like also hero mentality, you know, because mm. of our forefathers and they stood up and they threw the tea in the river and, you know, they ended a king's a tyranny. So I think we feel like if we're helping, mm. then it's okay. Yeah. If we're solving the Indian problem mm. by going out there and killing buffalo and starving the Indians, then that's okay because we're yeah, helping the country. We're helping. Right. We're helping the country. But if you tell me to go out there and slaughter people, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You're stepping on my freedoms, Jack. Yeah. So we, we moved to Pennsylvania not long ago, and there are these insects here called the spotted, spotted lantern, lantern fly. flies. And there was like Watch this, out, this whole... is very controversial. Okay, fine. So, fine. so watch, watch yourself where you're going here because this is some controversy. <laughs> they came here uh, from <laughs> another country, not not of their own volition. They were brought here from another country. And they are have been called an invasive species, which mm-hmm. I get a little sensitive about because... So were Ukrainians. Uh, so, so basically, they're immigrants here. And, um, and so the, the government in Pennsylvania was basically like... If you don't kill these insects on site, <laughs> you're you are a bad, terrible you're Pennsylvanian. bad Pennsylvanian. You are not a good citizen of Pennsylvania. And so people went on these killing rampages. Filming it. Filming it. There's like swag. There's all mm. these t-shirts. There's groups of people that were getting together to hunt down these insects. And in the name of being a good citizen of Pennsylvania, mind you, no one was like, wait, why? Like, yeah. what, what's the actual harm that these... Yeah, what are they doing? And Pennsylvania's like, there's a lot of them. They don't belong <laughs> They're here. taking babies. <laughs> They're killing children. They're ruining your taxes. So it's possible that there <laughs> They're was... They're not filing on time. <laughs> so there's possibly was some negative impact on the ecosystem, but like, not pointing any fingers, but some of us species also have some negative impact on the ecosystem. <laughs> but anyway, point is, I'm not trying to make a case here for the spotted lanternfly. All I'm saying is people were really activated to do something very violent. Kill a species. To kill a species, to yeah. attempt to exterminate a species because they felt that they were doing the right thing for their state, for yeah. their country. So, yeah. And you're going to get a lot of pushback from that because people are going to be like, well, you know, this is what they do to uh, <laughs> but, grapes. So here, and... But the point is that maybe you can argue with me that 
yes, they these insects are very dangerous to the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But I think what's hard to argue with is that most people didn't have the facts. They just mm-hmm. received yeah, some like, notice. Yeah, got it. This is the one? Got it. <laughs> and they became like these, these uh, insect bounty hunters. Like, yeah, got it. On it. Totally. So my point isn't, was it right or was it not right? Even though I have an opinion on that. My point is, there are plenty of people that immediately were sparked toward violent action mm-hmm. without questioning or really doing the research to find out just how bad is the consequence of these you know what i think i think and this is this is going to be controversial as well but i think it's like a uh, kind of mirroring our political uh kind of ecosystem right now is that you know we hear kill these spotted lantern flies they're coming in and they're doing this i'm they're taking look, our jobs i'm not even saying they're immigrants i'm talking they're the other side mm. of politics yeah right so these liberals blah blah, blah they're coming in there's they're, they're turning kids and making them do this and then the other side is like, look at this. They're 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 killing our democracy. They're they're um they're telling lie after lie. They're going to they're going to kill immigrants and they're going to you know. So like I think both sides are looking at this as as kind of like a an outlet to what we're seeing. So that's why the immediate thing is these things are coming in and they're destroying our life. We're like yeah, well let's mm. let's kill them. Let's yeah. kill them all. Well, that's right. So I think that's actually to me what's most chilling to look at Milgram's research through that lens is to recognize not that we are deep down secretly violent or evil or sadistic, as you mm-hmm. said in the beginning. Still have some question marks say about sadistic, you. Sadistic. You did. You're going to be editing this, so you'll be able to yeah, go I'll back. Check it out. Yeah. Don't you edit that out. I want to edit it. Don't. <laughs> and, we're like, and we're all basically very nice. Um, so. so the thing that's most chilling to me about it is that it's not that people are bad. It's that we do bad things when we think it's the right thing to do. Okay. So let me let me let me edit this right now in okay. live time. Okay. Say that we're not all sadistic, we're not all cruel and 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 mean. I think we're all scared. I think yeah. we're all scared and and kind of living in the dark. Mm-hmm. And that's why we all have our different news sources we go to as a comfort. That's why we all go to our our, our loved ones as a comfort, our information as a comfort, but and everyone has access to it now. It's not just the smart people, it's not just the the learned uh, everyone is a genius now that the internet is around and they mm-hmm. find an article that supports what they think. But I think a lot of it is we're all scared. Yeah. Uh, and I going think... back to the conformity research, that's what puts us in the most vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. I think probably for both conformity, like if other people are doing it, I'm not going to question it. And for ideology being the thing that drives us toward some very destructive behaviors. Hmm. So the question is, how do you resist this kind of natural human pull to either follow an ideology and and hurt others, whether that's another species or your own species, or resist that desire to just follow what your group is doing because it feels like the safe thing to do. I just say no. <laughs> but, you know, Nancy Reagan taught me that in the 80s. And, <laughs> just no, say no. I, I think, you know, one of the best things we can do is question. When I was growing up, I remember my dad telling me, like, find find out on your own, like, find find out your own answers, like, don't, wow. you know, because he he was saying like he did when he was growing up. There was segregation, there was this and then that. And when he got to the army, he learned really quick. Hmm. Segregation doesn't benefit anything because when you're all are in in trouble, you have each other. Humans have each other. Humans yeah. have their own tribe, have their own pack, whatever. Actually, I think the two things that you're saying match really perfectly with what some of the replications and some of the kind of deviations of Milgram's own research showed. One of the things that researchers have found is that 
So you said find out for yourself Mm. and get some distance. What he found is that if the person giving orders is farther away, compliance drops significantly mm. with some participants actually faking pressing the button so <laughs> and get that, were... get that four bucks that's right <laughs> yeah so i think that to me speaks to the fact that sort of our own thinking switches on mm. when we don't feel as like compressed or observed yeah watched, by sure. the authority whatever yeah. you whoever you think the authority is so literally like being able to get away get away from social media, get away from conversations for even just a day and ask yourself, what do I believe? What yeah. are my values? I'm not saying that there is a truth or a, a right with a capital R somewhere. It's not like if you go down and get off Instagram, you'll figure out what the, yeah. the real meaning of life is. But the point here is it's just to like disengage with everyone else's definition to try to find your own. That's one. And then the second thing that you were talking about in terms of like your dad's experience of we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. So what experiments show is that when participants were physically closer to the learner, their compliance decreased. So hmm. the closer they were to the person that they were harming, yeah. the less likely they were to harm that person. Yeah. They even did one version where they had to hold the person's hand while they were oh, shocking them. <laughs> And all of a sudden, compliance dropped significantly because you are seeing the individual that you're harming. And I don't know if it's just because you're like, man, I don't want to look bad in front of this person. Or what about you're like, I don't want to get shocked. How how does electricity travel through the human body? Am I going to get it too? (laughs) Shit. Like, I'm going to be like, no, no, no. Let me put on these rubber gloves and then. I think a lot of it does have to do with empathy. Like your dad talking Mm. about like race started to kind of disappear even in a time where a lot of racial tension existed when he was in the military or in the army in that experience everyone became part of the same side because you were so close to each other it's kind of paradoxically those two things distance and closeness get as far as possible from the people who you know influence your thinking most not forever but just to, to give yourself some space to think and then get as close as possible to anyone that you think of as the enemy, yeah. to anyone that your ideology has taught you to believe is the, the, the bad guy or the bad species or yeah. the or the worthless species. I love talking to some of my friends that are on the right, you know, and... You like know, I, politically? Yeah, politically. Uh, I, I don't ever argue with them because I'm, I'm really curious why they feel the way they feel. As long as I ask questions and I don't argue, I don't... Because in that situation, I'm not trying to turn them. Right? I'm not trying to like get them on my side. I'm trying to understand. So that means I'm talking less and I'm answer, asking more questions. Mm. So that's always fascinating to me. And I, and I think that's, you know, I don't know. I, I, that's so important right now is to just get away, get close to somebody and then just to find out. Just yeah. like, you know. I've been reading a lot of Mary Parker Follett, who's the... Name drop. Management. <laughs> name drop. I've been named. Is it? How is I don't it? Know. What? But not all the other names? <laughs> I said like 40 names in this one episode. Mary Parker Follett, new hero of mine, really. She was a researcher and management consultant in the 1920s as a woman, by the way, which was like mm. incredibly uncommon at the time. And one of the things that she talked a lot about is this idea of integrating diversity very often still today. I mean, she talked about this in the freaking 1920s. Still in the 2020s, we talk about, oh, difference is a good thing as though you just get difference together and then we're fine. Yeah. I love what you're bringing up about just having conversations with someone and listening. And often that still feels like it's not enough Mm because then you're like, okay, well, we've hurt each other. At least we don't want to kill each other anymore. Yeah. But we still see differently. And one of the things she wrote a lot about is 
the hard work of integrating different perspectives. So it's not fighting over my way is right or your way is right. Mm -hmm. It's not just getting curious about each other's perspectives. It's saying, what is a third way we can build together that integrates some of my thinking and integrates some of your thinking? So ideally, when you're talking to someone who has a different opinion, you walk away with your own opinion changed at least a little bit. So it's almost like you absorbed the, the goodness that you could find in that threatening perspective. And that's almost like if you think about how our ecosystem stays agile and resilient is that diversity. Genes come together and something new is born. And ideas have to come together and something new has to be born. I love that. All right, friends. Thank you so much for listening and for obeying our request (laughs) to leave a review. If you have not yet done so, please leave a review, pass on the word so that we can all have more integrated ideas in this world. And as usual, thank you for listening to Talk Talk Psych to to Me. me. Yeah, do it! Ow! (laughs)